The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO and Power Plus, their next generation broker portal that gives you more speed and control over the process. You can now disclose, lock, and manage your loan seamlessly from start to finish, all in one place. It's another reason why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is Division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID number 35953, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. A recent survey found that 15% of potential home buyers are confused about the market. It probably doesn't help that rates are bouncing around, but is now actually the time to buy? Welcome to The Principal. I'm Mike Savino, head of multimedia for the Mortgage News Network. Today, I'm joined by MBS Highway CEO, Barry Habib. Barry, thanks for joining me. I'm happy to be with you, buddy. So we just talked a couple of weeks ago about where rates were going, and and I recall you you were, were certainly confident that inflation had peaked and and uh, that would at least cool what rates were doing. We actually saw a big drop uh, in mortgage rates with the last CPI numbers. Are you are you surprised by that? Why would I be surprised, Mike? I, what what had happened? What I said to you was going to happen. What I've been saying since June was going to happen has happened exactly. Not even a slight deviation, but exactly. Uh, so it's been 100% accurate. So clearly not surprised whatsoever. I'm, uh, I'm very pleased that everything is unfolding exactly as we had forecasted. You know, in June, we said that the market was going to have a very brutal rough summer because we understand the way that mortgage rates track inflation, which very few people understand. Most of the people in our industry, in the media, believe that mortgage rates are going to be affected by the Fed. It's inflation. Uh, and once we got past the summer months where the comparisons from 2022 uh, were going to come in higher than the 2021 numbers, forcing the year over year to go up, we knew that was going to be brutal. But as I said to you, and as I've been saying since mid-June, the date to circle on your calendar was November 10th when we get the October data. And that October data would, first of all, reflect a, an environment where the Fed hikes will have started to take hold. But we also then had the benefit of much higher numbers that were sent to us or, or that were issued in October, November, December of 2021 that would now be replaced with lower numbers. And based upon that, what we've seen is we've seen the inflation year over year come down and the market celebrated. Now, it would have come down a lot more, Mike, um, but it was a very odd um, report that we had gotten from uh, from something within the shelter component. It's, uh, it's called lodging away from home. And, and when, when you're ready, we can break that down because that's yeah, very, that's very important. Okay. So when we look at CPI and you know, the Fed can measure it two ways. They can measure CPI or PCE. Now, the CPI is probably not only more accurate, but it gives us a two week earlier the look than the PCE. The Fed says they like the PCE, personal consumption expenditures better. I think because it understates inflation to some degree and it gives them cover, they might say they like it. Now to PCE's credit, it um, it does have 
something called substitution allowances. So, you know, if you're, if cantaloupes get get priced out of the market, people buy, right. You just substitute something else. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're seeing that a little bit now because, you know, the cost of beef has gone up a lot. So um, other proteins like beans and things like that are being purchased more. That's that's just coming out now. So people are making those substitutions, Um, but it does not account for PC does not account for uh, the cost of shelter as much as CPI does or out of pocket medical expenses, which are realistic for all of us. Now, the flaw in both of these is that these are lagging reports. So in, in real time, Mike, what we know is that according to the CPR report, let's stick with that, there's two ways to look at it. There's the headline number, and then there's the core rate. Well, the core rate strips out food and energy. And a lot of people say, well, why would you strip out food and energy? The Fed knows that monetary policy really doesn't have an influence on food and energy prices. Food dominated predominantly by uh, um, weather conditions and energy. You can have pipeline disruptions. You could have OPEC cuts production increases. The Fed can hike or cut rates, not going to affect that. So they stick with the core because they believe they have sway over this with monetary policy. So as we look at the core rate of inflation, 39.3% of the core is shelter costs. Now, we all know in real time, while home values are hanging in there pretty good, they're coming down a tiny bit. In addition to that, rents are coming down quite a bit. So the acceleration that we had seen in real life, in real time, we are seeing deceleration of these uh, these costs. But the way it's counted in the CPI, 39.3% of it, it encompasses the whole past year. There's a slide I show that shows this coming down, and it's analogous back to a to a roller coaster. So I still like going on roller coasters. And many of us remember going on roller coasters. You know, that first initial move up the roller coaster, and then you get to the top of the roller coaster. And there's a point in time where the people in the front cars are heading lower but the back's still going up. The way that we're looking at CPI in real time, in real life, we're the front of the roller coaster. Those costs are coming down. But because of the way that it's viewed in the CPI report, it appears to still be going up. In fact, it showed up eight-tenths of a percent. Now, when we get past January, the whole roller coaster starts looking like this. We get that data second week of February. So there's going to be an acceleration in or an added push in the decline that we will see in CPI and mortgage rates will follow suit. Here's something that's very interesting in that shelter component. So it's predominantly made up of something called owner's equivalent rent. Now, that might, here, here's the thing. You know what owner's equivalent rent is? They call homeowners and say, how much would you rent your home for? I'm like, I don't even know how much I'd rent my home for. And I do this stuff every day. Okay. So I don't know how accurate that is. Mm-hmm. So we know there's a lot of flaws in reporting, but I don't make up the rules. I'm just explaining how they operate. The other is actual rents. So owner's equivalent rent on a practically three to one basis is weighted compared to rent. But there is another small component that gets thrown in there, and it's called shelter away from home, which means your hotels, Airbnbs, things of that nature. Now, when you really dig deep, we found that this number came in on a month-over-month basis, not year-over-year. It was up 5%, 4.9 to be exact, month-over-month. It's crazy. So when you look even deeper historically at this thing, it looks like if it was an EKG, the cardiologist would say, we got to get you to the hospital. Okay, So it's, it's, it's like this, right? 
And this just happened to be a huge upswing. If this number were just flat, then you would have seen CPI drop by another tick. If it was down, you would have seen it drop by two more ticks or tenths of a percent. And then you would have had a real, real explosion in the bond market. But that's okay. We've got that in our back pocket because as this tends to normalize, you will see that also help the shelter component come down more rapidly. So there's a lot of tailwinds. We have good news for us. The question that you might have in the back of your mind, probably because I know you're super smart, is you know, <laughs> why, you. why would we see that jump up in a month like October? That's not a big vacation month. No, or anything. it's not. And you're right. And you're right. I don't have a good explanation to why it does this other than one thing. I truly believe it's just lousy reporting of the data. That's all it is. It's just lousy reporting of the data because it's so inconsistent. As I mentioned, it looks like a, a, a bad heart patient CKG. So I, I believe that you will see this vacillate back and that will give us an additional tailwind. Now, I need to mention that as we will start to see inflation come down, we're also being helped by money supply shrinking. Money supply is now, for the first time in 18 years, declined by as much as it has, as consistently as it has over the past five months. We will see that continue to be favorable for us. So all of these factors, make, barring a black swan event that we can't see, you know, or Russia, Ukraine, or you know, so, something that we don't can't imagine, and all of a sudden pops up. I really feel that we're headed towards 5% on mortgage rates. And I believe we're headed there the first half of 2023. So, so let me just tie a ribbon around this. So we may have talked about this, how, how beneficial that would be to the marketplace because inventory is still tight. You just got the household formations are hibernating in a 7% market. 5% they're coming out. But let me explain something else to you. And it's, it's, it's a little, um, would I be able to share my screen and show you something? Sure, go ahead. So here's a lot of data. So we. Doug, 35 years of data. And the bottom line is the 10-year treasury yield. That's the blue one. The yellow line are interest rates on 30-year fixed rate mortgages. So Mike, this requires a little bit of explanation because part of the value, you know, I, I, I'm sure you know how bond prices work. Bond prices have two components. They have the price and then they have the yield. As price goes up, yield comes down and vice versa. Part of the price that helps bonds, which you know increases the price because it adds value and correspondingly decreases the yield, is something called servicing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get back to that. But when we take a look at mortgage yields compared to the 10-year treasury, they do not track each other in lockstep. It's not a you know minute by minute, track by track, day by day even it's not, or even sometimes week by week, but over a little bit of a period of time, it's pretty consistent and you can see that. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> now, pretty parallel. Each of these red arrows are equal in size. So they're all of the same size. And you can see the spreads that are maintained are relatively consistent. And that normal spread that a lot of people look at is about 175 to 200 basis points are expressed differently, one and three quarters percent to 2%. So, you know, as you can see, if the 10 year treasury is around four, mortgage rates should be around six, and boom, there they are. Okay. It's the same throughout this entire chart, except for today. Now, I'll use some round numbers here and say, okay, let's call the 10 year treasury. I know it's less than that, but we're going to call it if it's four and mortgage rates are seven, you know, that's 300 basis points. That's very mm -hmm. abnormal. And if you want to be more precise today, you got about a you know a 375 10 year and about a 675 mortgage rate. So I mean it, it's it's 300 basis points. Why has this happened? 
Here's why. Because as I mentioned earlier, part of the value of the mortgage is servicing. So let's understand for a minute how the mortgage market works. You have a borrower that takes out that loan. And let's just say, if it's me, and I come to you for that loan, and you give me a loan, and, and you know, let's say I check out great, and I make my payments even early to you. But we did this loan last year, Mike, and you gave me that mortgage for $100,000 at 3%. So if we just take simple interest, I'm giving you 3,000 bucks a year, 3% on 100,000, just simple interest, right? Mm-hmm. Now, a year later, here's where we are. I've been making the payments early to you. You've got great collateral. There's no problem. I checked out great. But now in a 7% environment, how much is your mortgage worth? Who's going to buy your mortgage from you? And remember, now you're an institution. You've got to mark to market and see what the value. If you wanted to sell it, evaluate it with mark to market. If you wanted to borrow against it, what is the value of that? Because it says it's $100,000, but is it? Because... Mike, $100,000 is a four-inch stack of $100 bills that I could do anything I want with it, but you can't. You're tethered to a 3% yield. So you're going to get $3,000 a year return. If somebody were to come to you and say, you know, I'd buy that from you, but in the open market, I can get 7% or let's call it $7,000 a year simple interest. Why in the world would I buy yours? Well, you can by just discounting it so that you wind up getting the appropriate yield. And just to use simple, simple numbers, only for conceptual, that value might have dropped to $50,000 from 100,000 bucks. So here you are through no fault of your own, you've lost 50% of your value. Now, could you imagine that if you had lots and lots and lots of these? So it's, it's, it's extraordinarily risky to mitigate that risk. The borrower goes to a mortgage company, then they go to a servicer. That hot potato's passed to Fannie and Freddie. They know it's a hot potato. They get rid of it. They go to Wall Street. Wall Street securitizes it, turns it into a mortgage-backed security, and sells it. Who do they sell it to? Who's going to buy this crazy thing? Mike, it's me and you. If you look in your 401ks, your IRAs, your insurance plans, you will see mortgage-backed security, Fannie Mae. So it's ultimately the public that buys this, which is why the borrower pays seven. As it comes around the cycle, everybody takes a piece, and then the return that the borrower now gets that same person when they invest in it is five and a half. Do you follow what I'm saying? The coupon is yep. five and a half because everybody's got to get their piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something's missing. Everybody's dumped this hot potato, but who's going to manage it? Who's going to right. service it? So the servicer of this needs to be compensated because they're going to do the work. They're going to tell you what your balance is, collect your payments, pay the taxes, pay the insurance, send you a note if you're late, all those things that a servicer does. So people are under the illusion when they write their check, they're writing it to the holder of the mortgage. No, they're just writing it to the servicer. The servicer will be compensated for that with a servicing fee. Now, the servicer, they have no skin in the game as far as the deal goes. All they know is this. The longer that mortgage sticks the longer I get a revenue stream. So you can kind of guess and you can, you know, do a estimation on the value of that mortgage by how long it's anticipated to stay on the books. So a 3% mortgage probably has a good shelf life since the chances of it refinancing are not very great. And because of that longer revenue stream, 
you could calculate that it has a greater value. But what you're seeing today is that the very smart money out there is agreeing with our thesis. It's not agreeing with all these people that are out there talking about 10% mortgage rates that you see everywhere, bro. In Housing Wire, Patrick Bet David, CNBC, all these. The smartest money out there is believing what we're saying because what they have done now is they've essentially stripped out all of the servicing value that would normally be attributed to a mortgage. So without that value, you know, remember that means the price goes down. When price goes down, yield goes up. So disproportionately, yields on mortgages have gone up, and hence what you're looking at, 300 basis point spread. Mm -hmm. Here's what's going to happen and what we're already seeing happen. As the 10-year Treasury drops, and when I remember when I was talking about, you know, I, you have to remember, I do like eight or nine literal webinars a week. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, yesterday's was 3,500. So this, you know, 10,000 people a week that I talk to. And then live ones I do quite a bit too for pretty large audiences. When I do these things, you know, you start to talk about a 10-year treasury going down to three or two and a half, and everybody thought I was nuts. Well, take a look. We're already running the 370s. Okay. Right. So hasn't taken that much, just one inflation report. And for those and it people dropped believe, immediately after that report. <laughs> exactly. And for those people who think it's the Fed. Well, in the same week, the Fed hiked 75 basis points, okay? So why did mortgage rates go up 75? It's because they don't follow the Fed. The Fed is helping you in a crazy way because by the Fed hiking rates, they're trying to curb inflation, which then brings mortgage rates lower. So uh, the key is the Fed hikes will help when the market believes you're starting to corral inflation. So as the 10-year Treasury comes down to three, which I firmly believe it will, mortgage rates will not move in the same fashion, they're not going to drop by the same 1%. They will start to add value to the servicing component. So we will get a more historical balance because at a 3% or a 2.5% 10-year treasury, the servicing value will cause the yield to decrease further. And we have historical precedence for this. So when the 10-year treasury is normally at three, mortgage rates are under five. At three, at about four and a half, around three, three and a half, around five. Now, there may be an element that says not all the servicing value will return, which is why I'm saying, okay, if we get to around three or two and a half, maybe we're five, five and a quarter, just give it a little bit extra leeway. Maybe we, maybe instead of being 175 to 200, maybe it's 200 to 225. But we really need to think about the fact that when we get to three in the not too distant future, by the first half of next year, I'm comfortable saying that. We and Mike, you know, I'm the same guy who made the crazy call. You could see it's documented, it's all over on Fox when I said the 10 year treasury was going to go to a half of one percent, which by the way was a perfect call because that was the all time low. And I said it when the 10 year treasury was at 93 basis points, and I said it was going to 50. And every the guy, if you listen to the background, the guy thought I was crazy. It's like, it'll never happen. You're not <laughs> so, and his exact words, I want to debate you on that. And and no one thought that it could ever happen. But we called the exact bottom of it. The methodologies that we use, I'm telling you, I see the 10-year treasury going to three, and I see mortgage rates going to about five. And at that point in time, Mike, what I want you to think about is that inventory is still tight, and you're mm -hmm. going to get all these people coming out into a tight inventory environment, and real estate values and prices should be very well supported. So the time to buy right now is now. Mm -hmm. Because you want to catch it while you can get your home at a discount as opposed to paying 
ponying up for it or paying a little bit of a premium or then being subject to some of the appreciation that will follow. Don't miss the largest regional mortgage show in the nation. The New England Mortgage Expo returns to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, January 12th and 13th. See us at www.nemortgageexpo.com. Start your year with the best connections in the industry. Dozens of sessions, scores of exhibitors. It's where success is written every hour. www.nemortgageexpo.com. And then, so obviously you're sitting here saying rates will go down. If I tell that to a borrower or a home buyer, they're going to say, well, why don't I wait? Is that the point that you get your house now? And then of course you can refinance. Is that sort of how you get somebody to, to finally take that leap? So, yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, I want to show you a slide here. This is all good stuff, by the way, Matt. You should, I, I should send you like one of my, uh, <laughs> yeah, one of my presentations do. that I just did. I think you'd find it really interesting. This is all housing stuff here. I mean, there's just so much misinformation on housing. You know, hmm. like people say like this, for example, here, I'll just give you one. They say, oh my God, look at the big run up in inventory, right? Look at the big run up in inventory that we've seen. Well, yeah, we have seen a big run up in inventory, but this is all they show you. Let me show you 10 years. Do you see a pattern? It happens like this because what, what you see is parents know they want their child to start at the beginning of the school year. Mm -hmm. because curriculum changes, teachers change. It's hard for the kid. Their grades could suffer. Plus kids can be mean. You know what I mean? So kids, kids are kids. So I want my kid to get into school and start August or September whenever my school starts, which means I have to be moved into my home June, July, or August, which means as far as putting my home up for sale, when do I do it? I do it every April, May, June, July, April, May, mm -hmm. June, July. This is a COVID year, April, May, June, July, every single year. So you know, there's so much bad info out there. I mean, I can go through all these with you. I'm sure you'd find them fascinating. Uh, when you look at inventory, it doesn't include those under contract. There's only 732,000 active listings. And somebody will say, well, active listings are up from last year. Well, they are. Yeah. But last year was the lowest in history. Can you compare yeah. it to any other time? It's half of normal inventory right now. So inventory is tight. And you know, then the whole foreclosure thing, of course, yeah, they're up 150%, but that's from a year you couldn't do foreclosures because you had moratoriums for a good part of the year. We're down 60% from the last normal year, 90% from a tough year, and equity in the home is a big thing too. So this is affordability. We'll go over this on another call, but uh, no, this is all part of my presentation. So let me just try and just, just jump through this quick here. But what I wanted to show, it's all good stuff, bro. But mm -hmm. here's the perfect opportunity in housing. A $500,000 purchase price, 20% down or an ADL TV. Now, last year, I had to give you $50,000 over asking price. I couldn't even get a home inspection. Now, we're back to what you call normal. So being conservative, if I only get a 2% price break today, that's on a $500,000 home, $10,000. I could do a couple of things. I could keep the $10,000, and that's great. But it is mathematically more beneficial if I choose to do one of these two. A permanent buy-down will disproportionately bring my rate down just because of the way the market is right now. So I can bring my rate down to full 1%. Or I can choose what I would like to see people look more at as a 2-1 buy-down. So instead of 7%, let's call it, my first year's rate is 5, then 6, and then 7. The cost of that is 9,300 bucks. So if the sellers give me 10K, this will go towards my closing cost. Now, what's the difference? I'm saving $514 a month today. Now, when I refinance next year, which I firmly believe you will, you have not used all of the buy downs. So there is a refund that you get. What do you use that for? To pay for your closing costs for the refinance. So let's summarize this. I buy the home of my dreams today, but I buy it at a discount. I get the rate that I want today at 5%. 
I refinance for free next year to 5% permanently. But then as the horde of buyers come in and start to support prices and gently bring them up, I've got a discount of two, three, 4% in my home today over listing price, as opposed to paying some of that appreciation, even if it's three or 4% next year. So I get like five or six or 8% benefit in the value of the home. You know, what is that on $500,000? 20, 30, 40, $50,000. You know, it starts to amount to a lot of money and I've got the rate I wanted. I think this is a really good opportunity to make the to make a purchase in, in, in a home today. And people just haven't seen it yet, but that's the key. Opportunities come when you see the future before it becomes obvious to everybody else. And and are we seeing with with borrowers, obviously um part of the the sticker shock is is you know rates more than doubling. Are they starting to come around to the idea that five percent would be a good rate, understanding historically it is a great rate? And of course. Home prices aren't going to come down, so it's about shopping for rate. Yeah, this this would be helpful. So last year, twenty twenty one, I want to buy a home. I need a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage. I can get a rate of three and a half percent. That's going to give me a payment of eighteen hundred bucks a month. Now, according to Fannie Mae, not a qualifying income, but the average household income was nine thousand dollars. Now this year, it's gotten tougher. In the past twelve months, home values have gone up fifteen percent which means that to buy a similar home, I've got to pay 15% more, which means I have to take out a mortgage for 15% more. So that increases my mortgage amount from 400 to 460 for a similar home. So that's one ding already, that hurts. Plus the rate's gone to seven, ouch. That means the differential in payment, let's call it $1,300 a month. And that's where most of the media stops, almost all the media stops there. What they fail to do, is they fail to look at the income. Now, fortunately, we have good data from ADP who measures 25 million payroll records. And what they tell us, Mike, is that if you stayed at your job, your income went up 7.7%. If you switched, it went up 15.2%. So they say more people stay than switch. So on average, it's a 9% increase. So to a great extent, you've mitigated this, but it's still more expensive. Now, let's be fair. I'm paying more for gas, food, and services. And Mike, this is the market we have today, and this is why it's slow right here. This is the market. I'm paying a lot more than what my income's gone up. So there's, this is the snapshot of now. But why is it so important for us to look beyond the headlights and to see where there's an opportunity? Well, the opportunity unfolds next year when a couple of things happen. The rate will more than likely come down if you believe what we're saying. But even if it didn't, just for a moment here, the income's going to go up. If we believe ADP and rate and incomes go up just 7.7 because you stay at your job, you've completely mitigated the affordability issue in 2023. And that's the key. The key is to understand that in 2023, it will actually be a lot more affordable because if this comes down to 5%, well, now it's a lot cheaper than it was even, believe it or not, in 2021. And that's the thing to remember. It becomes more affordable than it was in 2021 if the rate comes to 5%, which we're, we believe that it will. And, and the other thing, you know, obviously you're accounting for inflation where we are now and you expect inflation to come down. You, you brought up, of course, black swan events, things we, we can't predict. I guess I'll just wrap it up on this. Is there anything out there right now that we should be watching that could potentially be a hang up, whether it's obviously the ongoing war in Ukraine, 
um, or, or, you know, at least here in the Northeast, there's concern about heat and energy prices over the winter. Is there anything you look at that could perhaps delay or, or reverse the trends we're seeing? I think that the winter is going to cause some problems, especially in Europe with those, with those prices. Um, consumers are trying to jockey now, you know, Walmart and their earnings call um, showed that the, their gains came from three quarters of, of all their gains came from those individuals earning over a hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, people are swapping whole foods for, for Walmart groceries. Right. So um, I think consumers are really feeling it and they're making adjustments. So those all point to probably lower mortgage rates. And housing does well during recessions and those difficult times. Now, yesterday, you saw what happened with Russian missiles going into Poland. And the bond market instantly reacted favorably to that because, you know, anytime that there's, you know, uncertainty or fear, there's a flight to safety and bond markets more safe than risk on assets. So I, I do believe that there is um, there is reason to think that some of these black swan events could potentially be more bond friendly, but there are some like you know heating and fuel costs which do push inflationary pressures a bit higher to be concerned with, and they can affect affordability. Although they are a smaller portion of what goes on in 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 a family's budget, um, and then of course. If we do get into a more hard recession, um, what will happen is more people will lose their jobs. And that can affect to some degree home ownership. But as we know, when we see people at the unemployment ranks, it tends to affect renters disproportionately more than, than homeowners. Um, and the fact that that inventory is still very low, I think that those effects might not be as as harsh. But you know, you never know. You get deep swings or this and that, those are, those are events that are out there that, you know, by nature of us talking about them, they're really not black swan because we're trying to contemplate them. Um, but those are the kind of potential events that could prop up to cause some distortions. Uh, black swan events, you know, you pray to God that nothing happens like a nuclear attack or something, you know, that these are the crazy things that are out there that heaven forbid, or a natural disaster, you know, God forbid all these things. Um, but Barring those, Mike, I feel really comfortable telling you that this housing market is 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 in good, on good footing. Um, it is it is one where inventory is low, and there are overwhelming buyers compared to inventory when rates come to five percent. And I think if you believe like we do that inflation is coming down, mortgage rates will follow suit, and you should have a healthy housing market. I hope we don't get fifteen twenty percent appreciation. I hope we get four or five percent appreciation. But that's really healthy. You create a lot of wealth like that, um, and it's really sustainable. Yeah, we've had enough black swan events over the last yes. three years. Let's hope. Just let's hope some good know. luck and and some some regression back to the mean. Barry, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your insight, buddy. It's a pleasure talking with you. We'll be right back with the rest of your headlines. This podcast was brought to you by PennyMac TPO and Power Plus, their next generation broker portal. Visit tpo.pennymac.com to sign up. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID number 35953, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Here's your headlines for today, November 18th. 
Carrington Mortgage Services has agreed to pay a $5.25 million fine for violating homeowner protections in the CARES Act. The Consumer Protection Bureau says Carrington misled homeowners about CARE Act protections and improperly charged them late fees. Carrington says it does not admit or deny any wrongdoing. A Freddie Mac survey found most Gen Zers want to buy a home, with only one out of every six adults between the ages of 18 and 25 saying homeownership is not a goal. But 34% of those in the survey think owning a home at any point is out of reach. This has been The Principal, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Cotamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygaze. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening.